So I'm talking about spiritual gifts. And I don't know if you know this, but I have a fear of talking about spiritual gifts. Here's why. Um, In the church, you can never give enough, it seems, pray enough, read the Bible enough, serve enough. What What are things that we feel guilty about all the time? Ask forgiveness enough, I suppose. I was Catholic, so I always feel perpetually guilty. Um, But I have seen people serve in the church and and pour their hearts into it, pour their energy as they should. Um, Someone was sharing with the children's ministry leaders yesterday that we only have one hour per week, and there's how many hours in a week? Like 12 or more. And you only have one hour a week to pour into the kids and... I've seen people porn the kids for 25 years without a break. And um, I've seen my family uh, get burnt down by the church. Non-for-profit organizations will gladly burn you down. And when you die of health issues, they'll just find someone else to replace you. That's not what we're about here. Um, as a shepherd, one of my passions is to protect you. Um, I believe the Lord gave us gifts. He wants us to use the gifts he's given you to build his kingdom. But as shepherds, we want to protect you as well so that you don't burn out, so that you don't neglect your family, so that you don't um, over-involve, because we know that guilt is a driver uh, for some people. But we want to protect you as a church. So as I talk about spiritual gifts, keep that in mind. Our goal is not to take advantage of you as a church. Our goal is to help you do what the Lord has called you to do. Uh, to serve the body of Christ, that people come to know him and mature in their faith in him. So keep that in mind. And um, if I ever, as a pastor, see you serving too much, I will tell you to take a break and let someone else do it because you need to be with your family. And I've done that before. There was a lawyer um, who loved serving in the youth program I was in, and I used to have the youth leaders sign sheets, covenant. How many hours are you willing to commit to a week? And he had two hours. And uh, he served us two hours, and he wanted to go on this youth trip. And I said, uh, how many hours have you put in this week? He said, two. I said, you can't go on the youth trip. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, you've already put in your two hours. That's who you commit to. You need to be with your family, and you need to minister to your kids, and you cannot go on the trip. And uh, he was very thankful that we protected him as a church uh, so he didn't burn out. So that's our passion with you guys. Use your gifts. But we want to support you, help you know how, and we want to protect you from getting worn down. Use your gifts. Stradivarius violins are one of the best violins out there. Stradivarius violins were first, I guess, found. Um, A guy was in a ship harbor, uh, from what I understand with the story, if this is true, I was in the ship harbor and saw saw some wood, some junk wood floating in the ship harbor. And he took this wood. And I don't know if he knew what happens to wood who sits in a harbor for a long time. But the sound a Stradivarius makes, this wood is hollowed out and it has all these echo chambers that make a beautiful sound. We are kind of like Stradivariuses. We have issues. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But God takes us, broken, set-aside pieces of junk wood, 
And God puts us together to be more and more into the image of Christ. God picks us up and he plays his sweet music through us if we let him. That is the picture I want to get with you guys today. You are like that Stradivarius. God wants to use you to play his beautiful music through. And if you walk out of here with anything, that would be it, the Stradivarius. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew 25, verse 14 through 30. We're going to look at this passage today. Uh, Matthew 25, verse 14 through 30. If you don't have a Bible, there are some Bibles back in that corner. Um, some in the Welcome Center, and it'll also be on the screen as well. Okay, Matthew 25, verse 14 through 30. Do you ever have a kid, um, any parents in here, ever go out on a date and uh, tell your kids to do something, and when you come home, you certainly expect that they'll have done it? Anybody? Anybody relate? Any ever been a kid in here? And um, One time, Shelly and I were on a date. We were out to eat in a restaurant, and if you have kids, you understand what a date is like when you have children. We're, like, exhausted, and then it came to think of conversation because we're tired, and we're just thinking about what we got to get at Walmart after the dinner. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, we're sitting there. I get a phone call, which in our family, it's against, it's a sin to, to uh, look at your phone during a meal. <laughs> so I pulled out the phone, and it was the kids. And he answered the phone, Dad, the toilet's overflowing. And I didn't want to startle Shelly, so I real calmly said, well, go in the bathroom, and there's a little, there's a little uh, valve. Just turn that valve till it's tight, and it'll turn the water off. And okay, okay, okay. So they, so they went, and we enjoyed our dinner, and we were getting near the end of the dinner about a half an hour later. The phone rings again. Dad, it's still overflowing. Yes, exactly. How'd you know what I said? And I'm like, well, we better skip Walmart and go. So we went home, and... It was flooded with toilet water, and I went in the basement, and it was dripping from the ceiling, and the basement floor was, like, covered in a zone, and uh, I'm like, I asked you to turn off the valve, and you couldn't do this simple thing, and yeah, Mike, uh, like, like a quarter of the basement, well, maybe less, maybe an eighth, the ceiling was bowed, and so that meant new, doing new drywall, and, and um, I was getting really mad. And I sinned a little bit in my heart, I think. And I said, kids, you didn't turn the valve all the way. I asked you just to turn. And I was mad they didn't do what I'd asked them to do. Um, but then I remember that I was that kid once, too. And I often didn't do what my parents asked me to do. Nothing greater than coming home from a date, though, and seeing the girls are in bed and the boys are relaxing, getting ready for bed. And they do what I want them to do. And Jesus is telling a story about a master, a CEO. If you want to go corporate level, it's a CEO who has financial managers head, heading up his finances while he's gone. And Jesus tells a story uh, that's similar to this. Verse 14, we'll start there. Jesus says, the kingdom uh, is like a man going on a long journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. D.A. Carson, um, I was listening to him on this, on this message here, and he said the Greek word for servant is doulos. It can mean a servant or it can mean a slave. And he took it as, based on the context, it's not a mere servant here, but more of a slave. In our culture, we struggle with the word slave. 
So I'm going to use the word manager here. Um, we can understand financial managers or managers a little bit more in our culture. So he called his servants or managers and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents. I don't really care how much five talents. I know it's a hundred years of labor is how much. It's a lot of money. It's irrelevant to the story. Some people dig way too much into stories that Jesus teaches. The point is he gave one guy a lot of talents, five talents. To another, he gave two talents. To another, one. To each, now, now pay attention to this, according to his ability. Then he went away. The manager, the um, owner of the property, gave to each one according to their ability. Back to kids. A few weeks ago, I said to Benjamin, Benjamin's 17, very smart with tools. I said, Benjamin, can you put in the ice maker in the fridge? So he drilled a hole in the ground. He ran some plumbing and did the ice maker. Ellie was at the house too. What if I had asked Ellie, Ellie, can you put in the ice maker? What do you think would have happened? She wouldn't have played with the hose and turned it into a knot and painted it pink, is what she would have done. And I could have, I could have been angry at her and thought, man, I gave her a simple ta- one thing to do. Well, she doesn't have the ability to do so. So I gave it to someone who had the ability to do so. And Benjamin did a great job. We did get um, bad equipment, though, didn't we? So it took a little bit longer. The Lord, um, in this passage, he gives us talents according to our ability. In this passage... He gave appropriate talents, appropriate responsibility based on the person's, the individual's ability to handle the job, to get the job done right. Verse 16 says this, He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. And he made five more talents. So that'd be 100 years labor, 200 years worth of labor. That's a lot of... um, That's a great investment, I should say. Okay? Verse 17. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent, small ability, right, went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. So think financial manager here. You have three financial managers to put money into your IRA one does a gr- when you retire, you come for the payout. One gained all this interest, did a great job. Another one got you a little bit of money. The other guy's like, I just put it in my in my sock drawer. Here's your money back. That would be t- if you're retiring and you didn't earn any interest, would you not be mad at that person? I would be extremely mad at that person. That's kind of what's going on here. Verse 19. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. With Jesus, there's accountability. It's not taught very often. We're taught God is love, and that's it. But part of that love is there's accountability. There's expectations that the Lord puts on his children. There's things he expects us to do that one day we'll be held accountable for. Verse 20. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master... You delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him during his annual review, Well done, good and faithful 
servants. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He's, Jesus is saying to him, awesome job. There's a lot of people in this church that do a great job serving the Lord, using your gifts. One day, you will hear from him, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's rest. Billy Graham was interviewed um, one time, and, and um, the interviewer said to him, what do you want God to say to you? What do you expect God to say to you when you enter into heaven? If God could say one thing, and Billy Graham looked at the man and said, I want the Lord to say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. And then he stopped. He said, but I don't think I'll ever hear that from the Lord. I was like, man, I think he's doing a pretty good job. Verse 22, the second manager. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents here. I have made two more talents. He's excited about it. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Super, excellent job. Then there's the third manager. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I know you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. In other words, he's a, he's a cheat. So I was afraid. Notice the excuse here. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his masters answered him, You wicked and slothful or lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has had ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is accountability um, for how you do with the talents. And that's why D.A. Carson said it's more of a slave thing than a servant thing. Because a servant could be like, I didn't do anything, see ya, you know. But these people were held accountable. And this guy received a very harsh judgment. Uh, for his lack of work. I'm not so sure this is teaching loss of salvation here. I don't think so. I think more so uh, it's teaching this man was not faithful. He was fearful and lazy and wicked. God wants you, is the teaching here, God wants you to be faithfully faithful to use the resources he has given you. God wants you to know we will have to give an answer for this someday. Fears and excuses, like ignorance, will not be valid at his return. God's not going to sit in heaven or sit before you someday, and you're going to say, Lord, Lord, I, I didn't have time. Lord, my kids were in sports. Lord, I, I had grandkids waiting around. Maybe they would ask me to, Lord, I didn't know what my gifts were. 
The Lord's not going to say, oh, I get it. I understand. That's fine. No, the Lord's going to say to you, what did you do with all the resources of riches I gave to you? He is not going to accept excuses for inactivity. Just like with my kids, when they uh, flooded, well, when the toilet flooded the basement, there was some accountability that took place uh, when I returned home. So it'll be with us, me, and with you as well. So some excuses the man had, I was afraid. Fear gripped me. He was maybe afraid of failing, maybe afraid of judgment because the guy was a hard guy, maybe afraid of the whole situation. Does fear stop you from doing what the Lord wants you to do? Are you afraid something's going to happen? Are you afraid you're going to screw something up? The manager said he was wicked. This word is evocative. It's a very emotional word. When he said you're wicked, it wasn't monotone. It was a passionate word. You wicked servants. Wicked means he was full of labors. He was annoying. He was bad. He was diseased. He was plagued. He was evil. The word slothful means lazy. A slow worker. I had an employee as a manager once who loved Facebook. And we would catch her constantly on Facebook. And she always felt overwhelmed, underappreciated, too busy. I calculated how much work I did for her. I, as a manager, did 60% of her work. The other ladies did 20% of her work to, to catch up for her. She did 20% of what she was supposed to do alone and help no one else. But she felt like she was the hardest worker in the office. And when I get on her about Facebook, she felt victimized, even though daily I would encourage her because she always felt victimized. And when I fired her, after many conversations, she thought, what's this guy's problem? Can he see how hard I work? And I'm thinking, excuses, excuses, excuses. He was slothful. He was wicked. He was afraid. Now, question is this. I know that probably a fair amount of you in here are thinking, okay, I want to use my talents. I get it. What are the talents God has given me? How do I know what resources he's given me so I can get at it? God has given you the resource of time. He's given everybody the same amount of time. Uh, where's Phil at? Phil in here? Phil. And Elaine. You guys have lived a lot of time <laughs> so far, right? I don't know if you've ever seen them. <laughs> Hopefully, you, you probably have some more time. <laughs> they have served. I, I look at them, and I think, man, am I lazy. I mean, after the men's retreat, I was exhausted. Phil was the last person. I don't know if you know this. And you didn't, I don't mean to brag on you, but that's okay. Um, after everybody left, he was still here doing the garbage, and he was working, and he was doing stuff. And I thought to myself, man, they serve so well, and they use their gifts so effectively. You know, they are redeeming the time. God has given you time. As well. Do you guys have grandkids? No? Do you have any family? Nothing to do? Nothing to do? <laughs> you guys got stuff to do. God has given you the talent of money, finances, to be used to build his kingdom. God has given you natural abilities to be used for his kingdom. Anybody in here Athletic? How do you use that to draw people to the Lord? Any of you artsy in here? How do you use that? 
God has given each of us spiritual, at least one spiritual gift. If you know Christ, his Holy Spirit is in you. He has given you a gift to be used. God has given you relational gifts in which you could care and be a blessing to other people as well. Those are some gifts he's given you. So the question then remains, what is your spiritual gift? That's next week's sermon. We're going to turn this into a workshop in here. And we're going to learn what is your spiritual gift. So bring a clipboard if you got one or a book to write on and a pen. Uh, we're going to do some breakout time uh, next week. It's going to be kind of odd, but I think it'll be effective. Uh, so we're going to look at what is your spiritual gift. We're going to look at how do you use your spiritual gift or gifts. And we're going to look at how can you plug in here and use your spiritual gifts effectively. I'm just going to say not everybody in here is a teacher, nor should you feel guilty if you're not. Um, Phil does garbage. That's a spiritual gift called service. You do a lot more than that. <laughs> I should be quiet about that. Do you think that the Lord is pleased with Phil taking care of the recycling garbage in a church? Anybody think so? That's an awesome spiritual gift. Do you want JD to do the gar- be in charge of the garbage at the church? That's not his gift. <laughs> God has different gifts that he's given you, uh, great gifts. If you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1 through 2. Great passage on spiritual gifts. It says this. This is how one should... Re- oh, i got to stop with the context. There's a fight going on in the body of Christ at this time. Corinth had a big battle. I followed the denomination of Apollos. I followed the denomination of Paul. Oh, yeah? Well, I'm better than both of you because I follow Christ. You know, there's a big battle on who's the best apostle, who's the greatest one to follow, and there's a fight in the church going on. So Paul says this in response to them. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they... Be found faithful. The context here is that they're fighting over him. He's saying, hey, we're servants of God. He's entrusted us with the mysteries of his word. What has he entrusted you with? What spiritual gifts has he entrusted uh, you and with me with? A little bit different than Paul and Apollos, I'm sure. But what would you say if you're writing this passage? What has he made you a steward of? And the requirement from the Lord is that you are faithful to use the gift that God has given you. Then open up to 2 Timothy 1, verse 3 through 14, if you would, please. 2 Timothy 1, verse 3 through 14. The Apostle Paul is writing to one of his disciples, Timothy. He has poured his life into Timothy... Timothy is now a pastor of the church in Ephesus. This is written in 64 AD, near the end, getting towards the end of of Paul's uh, ministry. And Timothy had to deal with a lot of stuff. Anybody ever been to a church where there's dysfunctional church people before? Raise your hand. You should raise your hand because I'm dysfunctional. (laughs) Timothy's having to deal with a lot of of dysfunction as a pastor, as a shepherd in the church. And frankly, he's getting pretty discouraged by it. There's a lot of heresy going around. There's these people called the Judaizers who are teaching you half 
to keep the law. The legalists are following him around. He was placed, Ephesus is placed in a very pagan culture that would almost make the U.S. right now seem very, very conservative. Timothy was in a very hard place. Timothy was in a very hard church as well. So Paul's writing a letter to a discouraged Timothy who's really struggling. Paul says this to him in verse 3. I thank God who I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you, constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. Verse 5. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. The first part of the sermon, I was talking about God wants us to be faithful stewards of the resources he's given to us. So he wants us to be faithful. The second part is he wants us to be actively passionate to use the gifts he's given to you, whatever those are. Fan into flame the gift of God. I was with J.D. I don't think I shared the story, J.D., of the fireball. Did I share this? J.D. was visiting our house once in South Bend, and he came over on a day where I was trying to get a fire lit. All right? So I bought this stuff at Walmart. I thought it was like um, kerosene or something like that. It was, it, did I share this story? It was pure gasoline for camping. And um, I'm like, man, I can't get this stinking thing lit. Yeah, I'm trying to fan it into flame. And um, so I get this thing out of the garage. I'm like, oh, this will work. So I pour a little bit on and, you know, I light it, try to light it and, and uh, didn't light. So I'm like, ah, whatever. So I took the whole container, I bloop, 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 poured the whole thing on there. And that thing is covered. And J.D.'s standing back. I don't remember your body language because it was such an intense, intense moment. And I think you're like this, like, he's dead. <laughs> and uh, I, remember, I remember the sound more than anything else. So I get down to light it, thinking it's going to be slow, oily fluid. I lit it, and I went like this the wrong way. I heard, Vroom. not a woof, but a woof. And, and my body just reacted, and I le- lurched forward and dove and rolled and stood up, and I was like, whoo! And, and J.D. said that he saw a fireball come over my head, and was, I, was it on me, the fire? It was. And my, I, like, smiled, and my eyebrows were singed. <laughs> I'm like, wow, that was intense. And um, fanned that into flame. Now, the week before that, um, there was a hornet's nest. We were doing some landscaping, and, uh, and I took some other gas and, and put about a gallon of gas in a hornet's nest and shot a bottle rocket at it, and <laughs> a neighbor went by, and the neighbor, I remember the face was like, 911, 911, <laughs> and uh, the fire department came by afterwards and said, what are you doing? I said, I'm getting rid of some hornets. He goes, they said, oh, okay, that's fine, because it's in the end, and we're relaxed, but... And um, fanning in the flame, Paul is asking a discouraged Timothy, get that fire going. 
you're discouraged, you're, beating, you're beaten down, your logs are getting rained on by life. Timothy, fan that gift in the flame. Time's short to fan the gift in the flame. There's only a certain amount of time where we get to burn for Christ. It's going to end someday. Verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Now let this, let this passage minister to you. Pretend Paul's writing to you in this passage. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher. That was Paul's gifts. Which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know who I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Timothy, be a steward of the deposit entrusted to you. Be a good manager of the resources that the Lord has given to you. The reason why we should be good stewards. Let me read this to you from 1 Corinthians. Paul says this. Here is our motive. Here's some gasoline to excite you about why share, why use our gifts to build his kingdom. Paul says this. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But... If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching, your serving, your teaching, your discipleship, your labor in the Lord is in vain. And your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God. Because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is a waste, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep following Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are to be pitied. More than all men. Now there's a key word here in the next verse, verse 20. But if Christ hasn't been risen, don't waste your time serving. You are busy. Invest in your kids. Invest in the stock market. Invest in whatever. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And because he is raised from the dead, it recalibrates the whole reason why we live our lives. 
It changes the way we engage our children. It changes what we do when we come together as a body of Christ. It changes how we use our time and our money and our natural abilities and our resources. Because Christ has, in fact, risen from the dead. So what are your gifts? How has God wired you to build his kingdom? It's a dark world. Being in the schools and uh, being in South and people not knowing who Jesus is, never hearing of him, that ain't good. Having kids leave the church because they haven't been discipled, having families falling apart in and outside of the church in our culture is not good. Um, I helped out a, a man in the community for a couple days this week, and the brokenness of people. Not only are they divorced, but they're splitting up their kids, and, and who gets the tax return this year? Who gets it this year? I can't let her know because we're fighting. If we don't get out there, if we aren't using our gifts, this world is hopeless. Trump can't help us, but Jesus can. He can make the difference. And when we work in his power... We are the difference that we need as well in this culture. So next week, we're going to look at what are your gifts? How's God wired you? And then help you get plugged in to using your gifts to not to serve J.D. or I, but to serve the Lord and build up his kingdom wherever you are. So let's go together in prayer. And by the way, there's a sheet on here with some questions if you want to look at this week in your devotion time as well. Let's pray.